The climate is changing at an accelerating pace. Thousands of residents and tourists have been evacuated from the region. No one country can solve this problem. There's really one key message that emerges from this report. We are out of time. Welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, an international podcast that explores the personal side of climate change, your feelings, what the crisis means to you, and how to cope and thrive. And now, your hosts, Thomas Doherty and Panu Pikala. Well, hello, I'm Thomas Doherty. And I am Panu Pikala. And welcome to our podcast, Climate Change and Happiness, climatechangeandhappiness.com. This is the show for people around the globe who are feeling and thinking deeply about the personal side of global climate change, global warming, climate emergency, whatever language that you use. And um, today we have a guest. Hi, um, great to be here. I'm Isabel Coppola. And Isabel is a special guest. Isabel, although listeners, might have been with us for a while. Isabel has been with us in the background because Isabel has been working with Panu and I for the last year on this podcast. Um, Isabel has been our intern and she's been helping with all aspects of the, of the production, the um, creating each episode and the nice transcripts that we, that we have and the show notes and the links and also helping with the email as we get email messages from people from around the world. So we wanted to check in with Isabel as we go into season two and, and learn from her a little bit about what the experience of this podcast has been for her uh, on the inside. And Isabel is age 23. She's uh, currently in Keene, New Hampshire. She just finished up a, a Fulbright scholarship in Finland with, with Panu. Uh, and um, she's got her own insights. Um, she had a great thesis. Um, on young people and climate change and whether action is an antidote. So um, in her own right, uh, Isabel is, a, is an expert on some things as well. So we thought we'd all talk together. Hanna, you want to get us going? Yes, warmly welcome all the listeners and especially to you, Isabel. Also great to, great to see you again during the last winter. We saw each other often because as Thomas mentioned, there was this great opportunity through Fulbright Foundation for Isabel to be in Helsinki. And I was glad that she is from the northeastern parts of the US so that she's gotten used to snow and winters. And one of the effects of global warming in Helsinki is that nowadays we may not have any snow during the winters but last winter we had really a lot of snow and a and for a long time so uh, but uh, she was doing well but, uh, but how's how's life going now Isabel you've been li leaving Helsinki and doing some traveling and returning to the to the states so how, how are things things are great yeah I'm having a bit of a different pace of life now after having lived in Finland for about a year and then having done some traveling in Europe um, I'm back home in New Hampshire kind of um, enjoying the the upcoming fall in New England which I missed a lot during my year mm -hmm. in Finland so yeah I'm doing well and I'm happy to be on this side of the podcast mm. 
glad to hear glad to hear and we be very very grateful for the great job that you have been doing behind the scenes so to speak but one of your research interests also has been to explore how people feel and think about climate change on both sides of the ocean so both in the US and in in, in Finland and we could start about discussing that a bit so so what's what's your impression now uh, are, are there significant differences in in how people see and feel Uh, the climate crisis on the uh, other sides of the ocean. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that question. And yeah, you're right. I've been doing research on um, young people's climate emotions in both Vermont, where I went, had my undergrad degree from the University of Vermont, um, and then in Helsinki during my Fulbright year. And kind of the short answer is there aren't really huge significant differences between these populations, which There's many explanations for that that we could speculate on. There are similarities in the populations between people in Helsinki and people in Burlington, Vermont. But I think what's perhaps most interesting is kind of the similarities between these populations and a real sense of uh, concern around climate change and other environmental issues, which sort of leads to a lot of different emotions that people are experiencing, young people in um both of these places. And this research that I've been doing has sort of sort of began as an exploration of eco-anxiety as a concept, but really quickly sort of exploded into the realization that there's many complex feelings and emotions happening related to eco-anxiety and that there's similar experiences between people who are across the globe from each other. What were the ages? Uh, were you working with a specific age group of people? Yeah, I was. Um, during my research for my bachelor's thesis, my goal was to focus on, quote, the climate generation, which is discussed by uh, Sarah Duquette Ray in her um, her book from a few years ago. And that includes people basically born from starting in the early 1990s into the 2000s. And I picked this group for a couple of reasons. One, as a student myself, who's in that age group, I sort of had a certain understanding of that population already. But then also there's a particular experience that young people are having right now in this sort of climate moment, so to speak. And I was really interested in hearing kind of the perspective of young people um, and how they're thinking about and feeling about climate change. So yeah, it, it ranged from people 18 years old to about 25 across the Finland study and the study in Vermont. The Finland participants ranged a little bit older while the US participants ranged a little bit younger just based on the pool of people I was working with. What were some of the main observations you made about young people's climate emotions? What comes to mind? Absolutely. I think the first thing that comes to mind um, kind of arose in both of these studies is that these young people are particularly in these sort of demographic groups are really motivated by a sense of moral duty, obligation and responsibility around the climate crisis. And this sort of sense of responsibility and obligation contributes to a lot of other emotions and is also informed by a lot of emotions. For example, guilt or fear and sadness related to these feelings of, I need to do something because this is a responsibility of my generation. 
And like I kind of mentioned before, the demographics of these uh, study participants was pretty particular and narrow to people who either have a university degree already or are working on a university degree, which has its downsides, of course, it's a narrow perspective, but also is important in sort of informing um, why these strong sense of strong senses of obligation and responsibility were coming up. Um, you can kind of imagine why people who um, are highly educated and have a, a certain level of privilege are feeling these complex feelings of responsibility. So yeah, that was a sort of a really strong takeaway. And then also sort of on the end of how, what are some ways that young people are trying to help deal with these feelings? I found that it's really important for young people and really all people to be able to kind of cultivate a sense of community, which then turns into a sense of efficacy, sort of ability to take meaningful action. Um, and so, so those two kind of components are really important and came up in the studies, both in Finland and the U.S. Yeah. So just bringing in the listeners, you know, we've got a lot of listeners around the world and, you know, many of our listeners are people born between 1990 and the 2000s, 18 to 25 range and other, other ages too. So you, I'm sure listeners are starting to think again about their own sense of responsibility and their, your own sense of, uh, duty or fear or sadness or whatever people are feeling. So I just want to name that process where all, all of us are going through this, Panu and myself as well. Can I ask then, um, Isabel, about what this, how this was for you personally? Did you have emotional growth in th through this process? Did you feel like you became a different person, more mature or more changed in some way? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question, I think, and really important. And I've reflected on it a lot. So just kind of going backwards a little bit, I decided to study eco-anxiety during my third year of university, really based on a sort of personal concern and personal anxiety and curiosity about what were other people feeling about this? Is this being studied? I really hadn't heard about eco-anxiety very much. The kind of the first term that I heard related to feelings about the climate crisis or environmental issues in general was uh, solastalgia. And that sort of led me to, well, I guess sort of it was a, a moment of, wow, okay, this there is language about this. And so, yeah, it began from a place of anxiety. And the more I researched, the more I learned that anxiety didn't go away, but it definitely became more complex. And my view became more complex. And I think throughout this entire process, I have sort of gained a stronger language around my feelings about the climate crisis, other people's feelings, and kind of applied more meaning to these feelings rather than this sort of unhinged anxiety that I felt when I was 16, 17, which I think a lot of people connect to. It's sort of you have this moment of clarity around oh my gosh, this is a really bad situation and I don't know what to do. And I feel really lucky that I've been able to kind of move constructively through these emotions, not at all in a linear way, but in a way that's sort of cyclical and um, helping me kind of sort of inform how I do everything, I think is one of the also one of the big things that has happened um, through this process is my understanding of these emotions has really kind of been an influential force in how I approach all kinds of conversations with a emotional lens, I guess. So 
yeah, I think the short answer is yes, I've definitely changed a lot through this process, matured a lot, but also my thinking has become more complex and more expansive. And, and now I have more emotions that I've recognized that I'm feeling. So in some ways it's become much more complicated, um, which is beautiful in some ways and can also be overwhelming. Yeah, thanks for sharing sharing all, all that. And as usual, we'll be putting links to the podcast website, including a link to, to Isabella's thesis, where there is very interesting discussion and observations about young climates uh, actively people's emotions and also I think very good reflections by a young scholar herself meaning of course Isabel here so this is one good example of a research topic where it's very important that the self-reflection is present also and I think that for example the dynamics of privilege are very uh, well discussed in, in your thesis I was quite st- struck by the quali- quality of, of, of that and um, of, of course, between the U.S. and Finland, there's great differences in many, many social di- dynamics. Some great similarities also, for example, between these populations you, you studied and, and, and so on. But uh, does that team bring something to your mind, Isabel, that you would like to comment? Things related to social dynamics, privileges, different social situations in Finland and the U.S.? Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely a big question and a big sort of theme I've been considering. I guess, you know, personally, I think it's important for myself to kind of reflect on how I come to these topics, what my privileges are, which are many privileges. I have a university degree. I grew up in the northeast of the United States very supported. I was able to move to Finland on a fully funded grant and continue that research. And I think that it's really important to kind of consider those, those background um, things there. They obviously inform how researchers come to their work. And I think it's really particularly important to acknowledge it in the context of climate change. Um, And I think speaking to your kind of question about sort of social dynamic differences in Finland and the U.S., I was really struck having lived in Finland for a year, just kind of the ways that environmental values are kind of ingrained into a lot of sort of daily habits of Finnish people. Um, Obviously, I'm speaking a bit generally, but for example, um, someone was just asking me what I miss most about Finland. And I, the first thing that came to mind was the public transportation. So easy, so accessible. And you might be thinking, how does that connect to eco-anxiety? But it's just an example of how environmental values are just so sort of ingrained into a lot of practices in Finland that I think it's, um, you know, as an outsider, it seems like there's this social consciousness about environmental ethics that exists in some spaces in the U.S., certainly, but overall is not as strong, um, in my opinion and in my experience. And so I've thought a lot about how that influences sort of the way that people feel about climate change, um, sort of how the society that you are raised in and that you live in kind of influences your um, thoughts around the environmental crisis. And it's it's not a simple sort of narrative. It's not that, oh, Finland cares more about the environment and therefore people are feeling X emotions and the U.S. cares less about the environment. That's a, not at all the case. It's obviously not simple. No narrative is just sort of straightforward. But there is some interesting things to think about with regard to how 
the society that you live in influences the way that you feel about things. And I will, one thing I'll add to just to emphasize is that speaking back to the similarities between Finland and the U.S., you know, both Western countries with very different histories, but there is a similar culture around emotional expression and like the acceptance of certain emotions and um, both societies are, um, I don't know, this may not be the right word, but a bit emotionally stunted in some ways. And there's um, a difficulty that a lot of people have in expressing a broad range of emotions. I found that in, in both places, frustration and anger are really easy. And you can see that in a lot of areas of society that it's really easy to be angry about something, but then, you know, what's underneath. And so I think that is a similarity that I found. Mm-hmm. So yeah, anyway, I just wanted to, to add that as well. Great, great stuff. I, I, I uh, it, it, it brings out this idea that, you know, climate and all these environmental issues really challenge our emotional intelligence. And if we're already limited in talking about feelings in general, it's going to be a challenge regarding these other feelings. And then there are different cultural pieces. Yeah, certainly. But it sounds like, I love the term you said, unhinged anxiety. So you've gone from having unhinged which is a really good term. And I think a lot of listeners and I've felt it too, you know, it really is this sense of just, it's that it's true eco-anxiety, which is a sense of threat at multiple levels of, of ecology all happening and very insidious threats that sometimes we can't even see, Absolutely. Uh, but we know they're out there. And, um, and so now your anxiety is more grounded in um, other kinds of emotions that help support the anxiety. So it, it's not just, just, bouncing around your head, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This brings out a lot of topics we've touched upon also during the first season of the podcast. There's the language thing, and with Isabel, we have often talked about this riittämättömyyden tunne, which is an emotion expression in Finnish that Thomas has also learned. He's starting his Finnish Finnish mm-hmm. knowledge, so feeling inadequate, which for these people that Isabella interviewed was a very common common theme, and this sort of uh, ethical guilt uh, is something which clearly requires uh, atten- attention. Then there's the social norms, so so-called cultural politics of emotion, which figure out also differently for various people, and there can be multiple justice issues ar- around that also. There's the various uh, dimensions of eco-anxiety from this unhinged and very threatening feeling to the practical eco-anxiety, which I see in Isabel's own story also, being able to channel that into a motivating force and do do good things things about it. And, but when, when you've been uh, doing stuff related to the podcast episodes, Isabel, what comes to your mind? Are, are there some episodes which have been especially interesting or important for you personally? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are so many or two of the podcast episodes, I guess, that were really interesting to me were the ones with uh, Dr. Uh, Jade Sasser and uh, Dr. Britt Ray about thinking about moral implications of having children in uh, a changing climate. And I think this kind of, I like these episodes a lot because it brought up a lot of, you know, really personal things that I think is really at the heart of climate emotions in general is like talking about kind of the hard things and and why why do we care um so i really appreciated 
the perspectives that both of those episodes brought on that topic. Yeah, and I also I really I really enjoyed the the music episodes that we had. That was a fun, I don't know, a kind of a different approach, but I think most people enjoy music to some degree and can really relate to the ways that music can help us feel validated in emotions in a way that sometimes other things can't. So I, I appreciated that, I guess, sort of more like it was like a personal kind of side, um, but also recognizing the ways that like music can speak to a lot of different emotions and, you know, not just bad emotions, not just, you know, quote, good emotions, um, but a whole range. Yeah. So I think th- those were some of the episodes that I really enjoyed the most as a both a listener and a kind of behind the scenes transcript um, editor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really. Yes. I mean, that, that, and that is um, particularly the, the episodes with Brit and, and Jade were, were really impactful for a lot of people. I know even in my personal life, friends and colleagues that listen to the podcast mentioned those, those episodes because they get to such primal questions of, you know, having children and parenting and for, Either whether you have children or you're thinking about it or you have grandchildren, it hits on every developmental level for people. So while we have you, Isabel, a couple of things toward the end of our time. I want to make a point, and we'll get to a second, just your environmental connection and your environmental identity You know, growing up in New Hampshire, because I think that inspires you as well, outside of the emotions and privilege. Um, but before I do that, this is a really, this is a, a reporter kind of question, right? So mm-hmm. um, you, your your thesis, you know, is action an <laughs> antidote? It, so is action an antidote? Like, what would you, what would you say about that in, in like a soundbite? That's a tough, it's a tough question, I know, but yeah. Short answer yeah. is yeah. Yeah, it's a really tough question mm-hmm. and I've gotten it a lot mm-hmm. um, and my answer has developed, but the short answer is yes, but not necessarily in the way that I thought it was. I kind of viewed action as this sort of treatment of like, okay, I see, I have eco-anxiety, I can treat it with action. Um, And I think that reflects my shift in perspective away from sort of pathologizing eco-anxiety as this sort of problem to be fixed. So I think short answer is yes, action does help and it's different for everyone. And action is such a broad term, but meaningful action or um, efforts towards aligning your thinking and your values with what you do is really important in many aspects of life, including climate change and environmental issues. So short answer is yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what I was, I was kind of expecting, because given our talk about emotions, you know, action in, in itself without all the emotional work, I think, like you say, it's it's a band. It could be a band aid in a way, like a you know, it's your it's a treatment, but it's really just stopping this. It's 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 like a it's like a medical treatment that only addresses the symptoms, but it doesn't address the underlying illness. You know, yeah, certainly. And the underlying illness is 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 more about meaning and our emotions and all this other stuff. So, so I yeah, well, definitely, if readers are, want to get into the academic side, we will put a link to the thesis and. Um, because it is interesting, and I know there will be academic people and students that want to look at that. But while we've got time, I wanted to move to this whole idea of environmental identity. You know, your your you Isabel, your sense of self in relation to nature and the natural world. Because I know that's evolved a lot too. I mean, I have to shout out to Keen because I've spent time in Keen 
I went to graduate school in Keene. Um, and in Keene, for listeners who haven't been there, is a, is a prototypical New England town in the U.S. It's a beautiful town uh, with a beautiful town square, and they have a pumpkin festival every year. That's a that is a gets a Guinness Book of World <laughs> Records for the most pumpkins in in, in one place and time. So it's a really it's a classic New England town, and it's beautiful. And in the fall. Uh, with the it, on certain seasons when the colors of the maple trees turn red, it's just absolutely incredibly beautiful. And there's old villages and cemeteries with little flags from the Revolutionary War for all the all the old people in the cemeteries. It's, it's classic New England. But um, you've traveled now in the world, and you know what are some of the things that you see as really important markers on your environmental identity journey? Yeah. That's a great question. And I also have thought a lot about this. And I mean, it really started from a young age, as I think a lot of people who come to environmental work have experienced. My parents are really avid outdoors people. I spent so much of my childhood in nature, in Keene, and in the sort of greater New England area. I think I first kind of fell in love with nature going to Stonewall Farm Camp, which is a, a farm about 10 minutes from my house, um, playing in the creek, playing in the woods, um, kind of developing a strong connection and a love with nature. Um, and that has just continued throughout my life. Um, and, you know, coming back to the sort of the realization moment when it came to eco-anxiety, that came when I realized that these places that I love so much are threatened and, um, you know, I remember I was walking on the beach in Rhode Island where I have a lot of family with my dad. We were doing a, a trash cleanup and I sort of was thinking about just how big the world is and, and how, how small I am. I think it, it all comes back to just like love of the natural world. You know, I grew up hiking and skiing um, and, you know, growing up winters in New Hampshire were incredibly snowy, you know, so much snow. And, you know, in the past 15 years or so, that snow amount has reduced significantly. And, you know, now with my, you know, education on climate change, I, I know that there are, there's a likely um, chance that that's because of climate change. And so, yeah, my, my whole identity has really been shaped in many ways by my connection to the natural world and my, and my love of it. So thanks. That's so beautiful and very, um, this is very authentic. There's so many listeners have their own stories like this. And then of course we're going to, we're going to wrap up here. So we don't want to open up a big can of things, but of course there's the specter of environmental injustice is always lurking because, you know, for every person that has this, this, um, positive experience, there are many people around the world that don't. And that's why we do, partly why we're doing this work. So I just want to name that for people. But, um, yeah, I think this has been a great short discussion that a lot of people will resonate with. Um, and we hit on two important tones, the emotions and the emotional tones and the emotional evolution. And then also that, that environment, that, that environmental identity that gives us that underlying strength to do this. Um, Panu, what are you sitting with here toward the, toward the end of our, our time? Yeah, I've been very 
very impressed and partly also moved by the discussion. It's been great to hear and connect connect again. And this has been one example of the practical eco-anxiety which was mentioned already before. And I want to share the fact that also I know that many of the people who Isabel interviewed were actually very happy that she did so. And this has happened also in other, other re- research events. So there's power in uh, active listening to the other. And if we share these things, they become much easier and we can more easily become empowered. And this is closely related, of course, to what we are doing at this podcast also. So just wanted to share share this uh, point of point of view one, once again that let's face these things together mm. yeah and next uh we're planning on um speaking with sarah ray next week uh panu and i and she's the author of a field guide to climate anxiety and i know she's very much immersed in this area as well so we have a bit of a theme coming here of you know the lived experience of climate change particularly among people are, are plunging into it uh and studying it and trying to understand it so and I know there are many listeners out there that are doing this work, so we want to support you all and give you all a virtual hug and uh, say yeah, we're thinking about you and you're not alone uh, in this work. Isabel, how's the rest of your day looking here? Where are you going to be going here after our talk? Yeah, I'm I'm going to go spend some time outside. It's a beautiful, sunny, early September day. I'm probably actually going to go walk to Stonewall Farm and walk around the woods there. So it's, it's really good to be back home and having that access so yeah some time outside well good luck reconnecting with that place and the season and panu you have a good evening and i'm going to get on with my day and listeners you all take care of yourselves and we'll speak again soon take care and thanks for visiting isabel and everybody take care bye-bye